Welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. From piecing to quilting and everything in between, this podcast brings you tips and techniques from the experts and fun stories from quilters just like you. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. I'm Ashley Huff, and today our special guest is Joe Avery. So Joe, thanks for being here today. Hi, Ashley. Thank you very much for asking me. Of course. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm um, a lady in my 50s, and I live in Scotland, um, not far from Edinburgh, just outside a little place called Linlithgow, which is a historic town. Originally, I'm from London, so I don't have a lovely Scottish accent. Um, I moved here about 30 years ago. I've got two grown-up sons, um, and I've always sewn. And now I have my kind of dream job, which is to do all sorts of quilting and embroidery things, designing um, quilting patterns, embroidery patterns, teaching people to do stuff, um, organizing retreats where I get to hang out with other quilters and teach them stuff. Um, and uh, various, like a lot of different things like that. Anything I can think of to add to it, I will. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you may not have a Scottish accent, but you do have a very good accent. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Well, so how long have you been quilting and who taught you to quilt? I have a, an older sister, uh, Jane. She's 16 years older than me. I was a kind of mistake that happened later. <laughs> um, but it was worked very well for me because I kind of had two moms, really. And Jane was very into sewing and she used to um, dress make all the time, make clothes for me and for my mom. And um, she taught me to sew when I was six years old. And I have a very clear recollection of it still. We used some offcuts of this red velour uh, curtain fabric and I was a squirrel so she drew a squirrel and it was just a two-dimensional squirrel and cut the fabric out and taught me how to do a back stitch and I remember very clearly doing a back stitch to make a seam around this squirrel um, and then after that I spent a lot of my childhood making toys I love to make toys um, my sister lived um, in Nottingham which is a town in the Midlands of England and I used to go and stay with her in the holiday and she would do dressmaking and she would save the um, dressmaking the dressmaking magazines she used to get her patterns from they often have toy patterns in she'd save me all the toy patterns yeah. and I and some offcuts of fabric and I'd sit and uh so toys and then I design my own toys and then um and I love just love making stuff really making anything and then um when I was about 10 years old she fell pregnant with her first child and she started to do some patchwork and it was what we now call English paper patchwork which is um hexagons mm -hmm. um over paper and I thought that looks like fun so I made her show me how to do that and so I started to make some patchwork the first time I love doing it and then I never really did it again. Um, I kind of continued making stuff. I used to knit as well. I used to make my own clothes. But then, you know, during my teens, I stopped doing all of that. Yeah. And I just did teenager stuff. And then I met my husband when I was about 21. And I moved in with him soon after, because love at first sight. And I immediately wanted to nest, I think. I can see that now as a you know real nesting thing. So I went out straight away and bought an embroidery hoop and hexagon templates and started to make a quilt. It's just really wanted to sit at home now I've found my partner <laughs> just wanted to sit at home and sew again you know and build start, start making something I think I'm a very simple person um so I started to make a quilt with um hexagons but you know I didn't really know it was a quilt because my sister had never actually finished the quilting part of her little cot quilt that she made for my niece she'd just done the top patchwork bit and then just that bit so the whole quilting bit was a bit of a mystery and it took me quite a few years to to get enough patchwork hexagons together just from sort of remnants of 
uh, clothes, old clothes. I used to go to Liberty of London and get buy remnants from there. And it was a bit of a mishmash. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved from London up to the Scottish borders. So this is kind of exactly 30 years ago now. And I decided to join a local quilting group because I thought they'd tell me what to do next. So they, they did the Abbey Quilters in Kelso in the borders and they're very, very helpful um, and very generous with their time and, and showing me how to do, what to do next with the quilting, how to make it into quilt. But also they introduced me to rotary cutters and rulers and machine piecing. I didn't know you could do this thing fast. So that was a revelation. So I then started properly quilting and making proper quilts so you could get done in less than you know four years or however long I've been working on the other one. Um, and I got really, really into quilting, making art quilts and, and exhibiting them and all sorts. So I did that for a number of years and then I kind of had to get really involved Involved in my husband's business and the, you know I had kids as well so I, I, I stopped quilting for, for quite a while I did make quilts but not in a really passionate way because I was kind of busy with everything else and then about 10 to 12 years ago I started to do it again with it you know and started to really make quilts again and then I discovered the online world which was just getting started then of blogs and things that was really when the next stage started Perfect. Perfect. Well, so when you said they were introducing you to quilting and everything, I want to know, so you hand pieced all your hexagons. Did you hand quilt that one or did you machine quilt your hand pieced hexagons? I started to hand quilt it and then, and it's still in that process now (laughs) because I've never finished it (laughs) because I, you know, I I was was quite anal with my quilting. There were tiny little stitches and I, uh, in a very sort of complex pattern, it's still sitting in a cupboard. I think I think a lot of people have those kind of projects, and maybe not even necessarily ones that were their first ones that they did, just once they started and didn't like. I act, I have a English paper piecing one that I've been tinkering with for a while too. Not sure when that's going to get finished. Yeah, and I think if you leave it too long, your tastes change, don't they? So you can like you know, fabrics just not as appealing. I mean, I actually have another English paper pieced one I started about eight years ago now, which is all. Um, Liberty Tana Lawn and uh, you know I, I wasn't in any hurry to finish it and it's diamonds and I used to kind of get it out every time I went on holiday and I still do you know um, uh, but these days I have so many other hand projects to do that I, this one is really at the bottom of the pile but it's beautiful I really should try and finish it one day yes so, someday there's still plenty of time well so what is something that you would say to someone who's just getting into quilting that maybe say started that first project and put it away and hasn't sort of got back to it like what is your 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 inspiration or motivation to keep them going with quilting well, I don't think you should, I don't think you should feel too bad about this. You know, remember, you know, listen to someone like me, I've still got that project in the, in the cupboard. So it's okay to sort of put it aside because now you know better and you, you know, fall in love with some other fabric and you want to, to, to do that. So, you know, I, I think wholesome should be about pleasure and enjoying yourself. So anything that kind of makes you feel guilty or makes you feel like, oh, I should be doing this. You know, if it feels like a chore, then this is not, you know, you should, there's something wrong because this should all be about fun. And when you're doing stuff with fabric, it's not like that. my husband builds tiny houses um, and he you know, furniture and all sorts of things. And he's working with um, wood and metal and, and stuff that's mm-hmm. incredibly stable and you can work with really tiny tolerances. But you just can't do that with fabric. The fabric's been made in also different parts of the world and it behaves differently in different environments. And even though you try as hard as possible to be really accurate with your cutting and really accurate with your piecing, 
it's never going to be absolutely minutely perfection, you know, perfect. Um, so I think you've got to let yourself off the hook. Don't, you know, just, if there's a little bit there, you think, oh, it doesn't mean quite as well as I want. I always say to people, look, leave it. Don't unpick it now. Do more of the quilts. Come back to it later. Come back to it at the last moment. And if it's still bothering you then, then you can unpick it. But you probably go, that's okay. Because, you know, we're often just too close to our quilting. When I'm free motion quilting, which is how I finish all my quilts, you know, often I'm, I, while I'm doing it, I'm really berating myself and saying, oh, and that's not very good. You've got your stitches not, you know, at all erratic. And then when I finish the whole thing, I can't find what was bothering me because, you know, when you're working so closely, you know, you're too close, you can't really see. You don't have the overall picture. So I say, don't keep on picking stuff. Don't get too hung up on it. You know, wait and look further away and see whether you notice it then. Yeah, it's like that three-foot rule where they say, like, put it up there, stand back three feet and see if you can even still see what you were looking at to begin with. Exactly. And if you still can take your glasses off, you know, that's what, <laughs> if I don't have my glasses on, then I can, I can see even less, even fuzzier. So, you know, <laughs> that's perfect. Um, so we're going to, we're going to come back to the tiny houses a little bit later. Cause I do want to talk about that. Cause I think it's um, something fun you have in the works, but yeah. uh, just somebody who, you know, say is listening to the beginning part of this, where you talked about how, you know, you started sewing and quilting at a very young age and now you've sort of turned this, what was then just sort of a hobby into your job, right? Yeah. So how, if you had to pick, like, how did that happen? Like, did mm. you just, you know, make it happen, mm. luck into it? How did it work? Oh, I didn't really mean it to happen at all. Um, as I say, I started, uh, I discovered blogs. They were just really getting going for crafts. And I thought, this is what I should do. You know, I felt like I was really quilting in isolation. None of my friends were really quilting at that time. This is in sort of 2009. Um, and um, I kept thinking, oh, all this... Um, experience that I've got, all this whiz- quilting wisdom that I've built up over all these years, um, it's just going to get lost because I'm interested, you know. Um, and so then I discovered blogs. And I was like, this is it. This is how I can communicate and infuse and just, you know, about what I'm really into. So my sons were teenagers then, and I got them to help me set um, set this up. I'm not really great at IT, so they set this blog up for me. It was a really fun day, actually, when we did that together. I think they had absolutely no faith I would keep this going. Um, they're, they're really quite amazed what I've done with it actually so I just started blogging and nobody was really paying any attention maybe some family members were reading it but you know there was this growing community through things like Flickr and you know other people's blogs and later Instagram so you know after a while you find other quilters and you join this sort of community and people follow you and about what you're doing so that was one side of it and event in a few years after I and I built up you know a good blog following um some magazines were starting to really get there was a real craft explosion after the sort of credit crunch and the the, you know the recession people were really wanting to do that whole make to amend so there was people really wanting to get back in crafting um and learn skills again um and some magazines were starting up and they needed content so they found my blog so it was really it was love patchwork and quilting really there was a couple of smaller ones i did some stuff for before that that um in the uk and they really were a wonderful revolution you know in in quilting magazines because it had such it had such a wonderful fresh look and the editor of that saw my blog and asked me to make uh it's a clamshell cushion that I've done a version of that's my first thing and then uh, and then asked me to do some quilts and really I started all my designing patterns and designing projects through the magazines um, and I still work for magazines now meanwhile my actual business my husband um 
had a furniture making business, which I helped him run. And we had retail stores. And when, the, again, the, the credit crunch hit, um, we were really struggling. We ended up closing the workshop down um, and just keeping one retail store, which I was running. But, you know, it was still really, really hard going. And I had quite a big store and these little stocking and people just weren't really buying. And I thought, well, why don't I, you know, clear out one of these rooms? Then I don't have to buy stock for it and turn it into a craft studio. So that's what I did. And I started teaching. And it just, again, it hit the ground running in that there was a real desire in the local area for people to learn how to sew at that point. You know, I just had the zeitgeist. Um, and um, so I started teaching. And then I started to stop the fabrics and the wool. Uh, and everything um yes that's that's really how it got going I didn't really it was kind of desperation and luck <laughs> well it's, and things just have a way of snowballing too so if you you start with something and you stick with it you know you like you said you just you get seen by somebody and then somebody else and then yeah you know, it just kind of keeps going so that's perfect well so uh now you're still doing all of those things but you're also uh writing books right so you have a new book coming out can you tell us about it that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it takes quite a long time for books to happen. So, you know, I wrote this a couple of years ago now. So it's sort of, now it's finally coming out in the next couple of months. And I'm having to remember what it's all about. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I wrote this book with, um, it's for Stash, uh, Stash Books is the publisher, which is part of C&T, an American publisher. Um, and it's going to be published uh, at the end of February in the US. We probably won't get to the UK and Europe to the end of, of March. Uh, it's called New Patchwork and Quilting Basics. And it's a beginner's book, um, but I hope it's more than a beginner's book because I've tried to write it that way. Um, I, I mean, I teach beginners patchwork quilting and have done for years and have processed hundreds and hundreds of new quilters. Um, but, you know, I teach eight time in my studio. So this is a fantastic way of reaching potentially thousands um, of new quilters. So I wanted to write this the way I teach my students, you know, the way I try to infuse them about it. So I try to encourage them to explore as many different aspects of patchwork and quilting as possible. So quite often... the Patchwork and quilting but can be very simple, full of very simple, easy quilts. But I wanted to start people off that way, but then move them along so they could experience some of the other uh, techniques. You know, I think there's so much to explore. There's no end to patchwork and quilting. You come across knitting or say cross stitch you know all you're doing is doing new patterns really you've learned the techniques and that's it but you never get to the end of patchwork and quilting there's always something new to learn um and so we start strips and squares and we move on to tr different triangles and then we get into some different techniques we'll do some applique we'll do some curves and some foundation paper piecing and then there's a section at the end of the book with more intermediate quilts where we mix those all those techniques we've used together to make some more ambitious projects and I hope that way that it'll appeal to not just quilters but to existing quilters who want a few simple projects and want some more challenging projects well yeah and absolutely and you, I mean you say it's a beginner or beginner to intermediate but I mean everybody's beginner level is a little bit different you know exactly. one beginner to another you might not be in the same spot so I think that's perfect but so as somebody who taught techniques and things on your blog but then you also taught it in person how do you change up sort of your either how you word things or how you present it teaching in person versus teaching written, if that makes sense. Mm. 
Yeah, well, it's much easier in a way to, to teach in person because it's much easier for people to learn when they can physically see you demonstrating something. I think people learn much easier in a visual way when they do writing stuff out. Um, so, um, you know, when I'm writing a pattern, I do try and use a lot of step photos because I think they're easier for people to, to understand than just illustrations. So I try to, to use as many of those as possible. I mean, most of the work I do with patterns is going to uh, magazines and books. So I'm lucky enough then to have them technically edited. I have to say pattern writing is my great strength. I really have to be, I'm always at a deadline when I'm writing that pattern. So I really like the fact somebody's checking it. Um, but you know, basically I think that again, it comes with the experience of I've written so many patterns and you, you overall, you start to learn more concise ways of explaining things or, or you learn easy ways of explaining things. Um, when you're teaching in class as well, you know, again, experience is, is really useful because you have to anticipate all these different things that people might do wrong um, that you just would not thought of doing yourself not wrong but you know that might do accidentally um, and each time you teach a, a, the, even the same subject you're like oh I wouldn't think about doing that right okay and then you add that into your, your explanation at the start so that you can catch all these things before people do them so you can make the whole thing a smoother experience for them you know you want people people can get really you know really worried when they do anything wrong and it can really set them back so you want to try and smooth all that out as much as possible so you catch them just before they do that and then they feel like it's a really positive experience that they can do everything and they keep their confidence yeah absolutely and a lot of times it's it's you know like I said you can catch it when you're in person but it's not necessarily that somebody's doing something super wrong it's just they're doing it in a totally different way than what you are presenting but it still works you still get the same end result yeah, absolutely. And you do get people that come and do something and they're doing completely different to you, but they're still doing it. So that's fine. I'm very much of the opinion that there isn't a right way or a wrong way to do this. I'm just going to tell people what I find is my easiest way of doing something and why I like that way. But I also know that they will go away or they'll say to me, well, actually, I like it better this way. And this is why. And it's like, well, that's fine. Maybe I'll try your way. And I'll, you know, I learn loads of stuff from my students all the time. So yeah. I think you like learn from as wide amount of people as possible. Don't just think this is the right way to do it because, you know, you might just find that tomorrow you find a better way of doing it or somebody comes up with a better way of doing things. So keep, you keep a really open mind about um, techniques and the right and wrong ways. I don't believe in the court police. You know, there isn't just you know, this right and wrong way to do stuff. Just find your own way. Yeah, actually. And never, never stop learning something new. Always, you know, like you said, there's always something new to learn. Always something new to learn, which is what's wonderful about it. Yes, absolutely. Well, so uh, another thing that you have going on, because you might be like the busiest person I know, um, <laughs> is your, your business um, Threadhouse. And you actually have some new sort of expansions or some fun things that you're adding on coming up. Can you talk about those? Yeah, that's right. Threadhouse is a is another a separate little business I do with my friend Karen Lewis. Um, we started it about four or five years ago now with another quilter as well, Lynn Goldsworthy. Um, it was Lynn's idea. Um, she wanted to, do, to start to do some retreats, um, when, and that's really how it started. Lynn kind of dropped out after the first year, and then Karen and I have kept going. We, we, we had an annual uh, residential weekend retreat in Bristol, which is about to have our, I can't remember this, our fourth or our fifth, but it's at the end of this month. Um, and um, they're really lovely uh, kind of weekends away with about 45 quilters we bring in some guest tutors we teach lots of classes we just have lots of fun together and then last year we brought a summer retreat out as well so um, that's in Yorkshire these these retreats 
though they sell out immediately. Um, we only do them for a certain amount of people. So, but you know, people want to learn from Karen and I. Karen's a screen printer and she's a fantastic fabric designer. I have lots of different techniques I do. People are always asking me where they can get to my classes. And, you know, I don't want to have to travel lots because I have concerns about you know as far as the environment's concerned mm-hmm. I like to be at home I really like my husband I don't want to have to be home all the time um, and I have my own studio so um, what we're going to do uh, within the Threadhouse brand is we're going to do online classes in fact um, we're going to be starting to film them very soon and launch them hopefully in the spring um, and the idea is that we'll do these classes together so I will be teaching a technique but Karen will be experiencing it as if she's somebody at home. And when she's teaching one of her techniques, I'll be joining in and experiencing that. And that in that allows us to have our kind of natural friend banter between us. Um, and hopefully it kind of is an unusual way of doing it and will be interesting and fun to people. Well, it sounds like it's going to be fun. And not only being able to have that, that banter between you two, but like I think sometimes when people are, say, watching classes or taking classes, they can be afraid to ask a question yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So if you are on taking her class and you're the one asking questions and interacting, it'll get people wanting to do that too. I hope so. I hope it'll make it more accessible. That's right. Yeah, kind of fun and accessible and just a way of sharing um, all our experience and learning. Um, but for everybody around the world, you know, if you can't travel to Edinburgh, you can't travel to one of our retreats, you can have experience a little bit of it um, with these online classes. So that's going to be very exciting. And then we actually have more exciting plans that are still secret at the moment, but it's going to be something that we're going to launch uh, maybe in the late spring, start time. Um, we've thought for a long time about doing a kind of block of the month type thing um, but what we've done is we found a way of combining that that sort of idea of you know designing blocks um, to, to make a really exciting project with our retreats and with the online classes and something you know something new that we, we've put together that people can be involved in and we're going to be launching that later in the year so that's just a little teaser for everybody there <laughs> you can have to go to the, the website you know and kind of sign up for news and things to find out more when it's ready okay perfect as a second we have we have all of your info that we'll post so we have links to your websites you know blogs things like that so yes you can um, check back to get more information on that little tease Another thing, because again, you're so busy, I wanted to circle back to the, the, the tiny houses that you talked about at the very beginning, and, and your husband does that, and you're, you're kind of getting him involved in sort of a quilting-related project with tiny houses. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm very lucky. Um, where I live, I have seven acres. It was a, it used to be a small holding. And when we came here, it was just a flat, uh, big field with nothing in it. And this is uh, nearly 10 years ago now. And we decided we just wanted to plant as many trees as possible and encourage as much wildlife as possible. And we call it Shangri-La Farm. And it's our little paradise. And we've planted th- uh, 3,000 or more trees, I think. And we've just kind of turned it this is now called rewilding for a number of years i had no vocabulary to explain to me what we were doing but now rewilding is the big buzzword you know i'm sure you've heard hopefully you have if it's in america as well it's a big thing in in the uk people are talking about it all the time so now i have this word i go oh, yeah we've rewilded our our uh, seven acres so it's this great place and i've had it a lot but you know no one else has access to it and i've always had a dream about building a studio here and making really special teaching days i love to bake and to cook and i love to to make lunch for people and have a lovely cake 
break in the afternoon, what the Swedish people call fika, which is a little, uh, not just coffee, but also a chance to relax. And uh, I've taught in Sweden quite a bit, and you get fika breaks where you go away from the, the teaching and you'll talk together and have coffee and cake. It's lovely. And I want to do that. And then also to, people can come and have what I'm calling Joe's Tree Tour, which I thought should be a coffee bar of the day because I do love to show people my trees uh, around Shangri-La Farm. Um, so that I can share this with them, this wonderful place. Um, so uh, it's something I've always dreamt about doing, but I always thought I needed a much bigger place um, here and, and the, the costs were really prohibitive. But as I say, my husband um, builds these tiny houses and we have one here, which is a nest house, which is a, a quite a good sized tiny house. And it's got a, a, a it's complete, completely self-contained little house mm-hmm. um, with its own bathroom and kitchen. And it's just adorable. And we keep it as a show home. And also, you know, people, uh, extra guests can, can stay there. Um, and the idea is to build the studio, the new little tiny house schoolhouse, which is what he's building me now. Um, right next to it, there's going to be like a covered porch between the two of them. They're going to be standalone um, units, but a standalone houses, but you'll be able to go between the two. So it means he could build me a tiny house from the studio because it will all be teaching studio for six to ten people, depending on what we're doing there. Um, and then when they want to have have a lunch and go to the toilet, they can go over to uh, the tiny house. Um, and I think that's going to make the experience really, really special. So he is now at this moment building my my what we're calling the Stitch Gathering Schoolhouse because the Stitch Gathering is is, an, is another retreat I organise and that and that's what we're going to do these two together. And um, that's what it's going to be officially called. And I'm going to launch this soon. Um, I've already kind of told everybody about it. It does mean that I'm going to actually try and sell my shop in Edinburgh. So the plan is because, as you say, I am very, very busy. Something's got to go. And um, what I want to do is to move all the teaching here um, and hopefully somebody else will take on the, the shop and the business in, in Edinburgh, which is a great little business. I'd love to still teach them. I'd love to still have it as my kind of sister business. So, you know, hopefully maybe somebody's listening to this that wants to relocate to Edinburgh and have a great business. <laughs> it, it does sound pretty cool there. I mean, I, I could just come down and, and you could build me a different tiny house and I could live on the back corner of your house. <laughs> no, that would be, that sounds like it would be amazing. So that's, I'm sure lots of people would really want to just have a little plot here and do that, but I could right. see that becoming a problem eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the planning department here might have something to say about that. We have a little tiny house city here. <laughs> yeah, they might not like that too much, but that, I think it's perfect because it, it sort of comes full circle to combine everything that you want. Like you want to mm-hmm. teach, you want to interact with others, you want to be near your home on where you want to be, and you kind of get to do all of that all together now. So I think that's great. Yeah, it feels like I'm going to be really busy this year, but, you know, I'm working towards this, you know, a better, a better kind of a future where I, where it is, it's it's definitely all more doable, um, but that might not come till next year, because there's going to be a bit of an overlap between starting this off and finishing the others, so, but, you know, I think this will, this is definitely going to be a more sustainable way to, to live and work uh, in the future. Yes, absolutely. Obviously, you're very busy with everything you've got going on in terms of quilting and teaching and getting everything that you want going um but in your we'll call it your spare time i'm not really sure it's spare time but you still you still find time to do um an additional hobby as well so you do a lot of embroidery so can you kind of explain sort of what it is you like about that and how maybe you got into it how you tie that into your quilting or if you do or if you just use that as a break from everything yeah no i do kind of look on it as as an as um as an, another strand to to you know i almost would like it to be 50% embroidery or 50% quilting in the future i love to draw 
and I've always wanted to maybe do fabric design but I feel like that's not really happening at the moment but the embroidery is like a kind of mini fabric design but one where I've got complete control over it so you know often I have ideas for design the things really appeal to me but I realize I can't really do those in patchwork quilting but then they could be a lovely embroidery embroidery so it's a nice way to be able to, to um, be able to use some kind of art ability um, I love the design which is I like the making part um, and then also I just like the stitching side that sort of mindfulness that you get from sew stitching is so appealing I do a lot of um, hand applique as well which is a similar thing and sometimes I do combine the embroidery with hand applique I do that a lot and that, that works really well but I, I use a lot of oral threads I'm an oral designer um, and I started off doing embroidery with their um, 12 weight cotton um, I have my own collection with that that was you know, a couple of years ago and the last year I discovered their wool threads and I love them they're a bit more unusual I like a curl work thread now curl work is the definition of it is purely embroidery using wool um, and there, but there are various sort of stitches that were always used in, in curl work and I love the soft matte quality of the wool and so earlier this, uh, last year I started to play around with Aurifil wool and to do a sort of modern curl work and I designed something called a pebble sample which went really crazy actually everybody loves it and it's become my most popular class and I did a new collection with um, Aurifil for, for their wools and it's just something that I wanted to explore more and more so I'm doing more embroidery using this kind of modern curl work idea of trying to bring curl work which is a little bit of an ignored type of embroidery you know giving it a modern twist and doing and exploring what I can do with that so that's something this year I'm doing a lot more of um, working on a few, few patterns at the moment and having to expand that into, into more classes as well. Is that something that you may teach classes at your tiny house school as well? Definitely, definitely going to be doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to do lots of sort of hand work at the classes, um, lots of applique and embroidery and where I can kind of mix them together and just really explore that. I love the detail that you get from all that hand work. And I, I want to slow things down a bit. You know, it, it's, a, it's part of being concerned about the environment too you know it's something I think we've all got to think about you know when I talk about not wanting to fly so much but also not wanting to use so much less resources and making lots of quilts uses a lot of resources um and you know I don't stop being creative and I don't want to stop other people being creative but you know instead of making 10 quilts a year maybe you could make one or two quilts so I'm trying to go towards this kind of slower quilting slow embroidery of um, putting the content in back into stuff taking taking making it more labor intensive really um but you know for those two reasons for you know for our mind space as well slow down for you know mindfulness and mental well-being and also for the environmental issues you know because I think a lot of it's about the journey rather than the end result you know we're not making a quilt or an embroidery because we really need a bed cover that's not the reason no it is about enjoying this creativity um, we want a finished result at the end yeah we like to make things and that process of making something is a really important part of it but it is about just it's so much more than that it's so much more than just making a bed cover yeah absolutely and also you're I mean it's it's going to be quality over quantity too so you're really going to be putting a, you know more effort and more of yourself into these projects and you might even find that you like them more in the end because of it. Well, thank you so much for, for stepping away from everything that you've got going on right now uh, to talk with us for, for a little while. I, I wish you luck in everything that you've got going on. Um, and if I ever make it your way, I'm definitely going to come take a class at the Tiny Schoolhouse. I think that would be awesome. So thank you so much again for being here. I'd love to have you there, actually. Yeah, that would be great. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thanks. Absolutely. And we'll talk to you later. Bye.